A couple months ago, I visited my family in Missouri, and we took a trip to a wolf sanctuary. Wolves used to roam across all 48 of the contiguous United States. Now, they're endangered, thanks to things like poaching, trapping, habitat loss, and eradication campaigns. Some breeds have only 10 members living in the wild. When we arrived at the center, we wanted to hear the wolves howl. But you can't get within sight of the wolves. They're actually really shy. Instead, our two guides led us down a long gravel road through the woods. After about 10 minutes of walking, we stopped in the middle of the road. We had to be very quiet. The guides tried to get the wolves to howl at us from afar. One of them walked ahead, further down the road, and the other stayed back. They began to howl back and forth to one another. Honestly, they sounded super wolf-like. They were trying to get the actual wolves to join in. I'm Johanna Mayer, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, a trip to the Endangered Wolf Center in Eureka, Missouri, and the story of one extraordinary wolf who made the center his home, and who gives us hope about the future of wolf survival. After this... If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. The Endangered Wolf Center, we were actually founded just over 50 years ago by Marlon and Carol Perkins. This is Jimmy Parsons. He's an education coordinator at the Endangered Wolf Center. Marlon and Carol might sound familiar because they hosted a show called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. 
And that was a show that ran for almost 30 years. It was kind of the first ever wildlife TV show. Hello there, and welcome to Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. The wolf. For centuries, it has been feared like no other animal. It has been branded a killer, a threat even to man. But Stan Brock's friend Caruso doesn't look much like a snarling killer. Stan Brock's friend named Caruso is actually a wolf. In this clip, Caruso the wolf is sitting calmly on the table next to the two men. I don't think we need to worry, Marlin. Of course, this is only a young zoo animal. But even in the wild, the wolf's evil reputation is undeserved. The wolf pack is truly a remarkable animal society. It really brought wildlife and nature into people's homes. Like my parents watched it every weekend. I also did watch the reruns as well. And Mutual of Omaha and all these other shows really inspired and instilled my love of wildlife. And it's something that I would love to be a part of to pass on to future generations. Jimmy works in the education department of the Endangered Wolf Center, which leads all sorts of programs to help the public get to know these animals. The center's home to eight different species of canid, Mexican wolves, red wolves, maned wolves, and also some African-painted dogs and several different types of foxes. You can tour the animals' habitats. You can do yoga in the woods during the time of the day when you might hear a wolf howl. And you can go on the howl tour, like I did. Jimmy often guides these kinds of tours. Will you howl for me now? I can. I don't know how it's going to sound over Zoom. We're going to have to see. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's really howled over Zoom. This can be a first-time occurrence. Yeah. The people below and above me in my apartment are probably going to have some questions. <laughs> you could do a like a lower howl. No, if you're going to howl, you got to go all out. <laughs> <laughs> you're That was beautiful. Zoom just asked if I was playing music, so that must have meant that I was a good howl. <laughs> <laughs> Do you practice the howls? There's probably been a couple commutes home where you're like, hmm, maybe I should work on my howl, and you're kind of like howling in your car by yourself. So sometimes <laughs> it's a part of your job you wouldn't think about. Look no further than Little Red Riding Hood or The Three Little Pigs for stories featuring a big, bad wolf. Wolves have long had a reputation for eating not only little piggies and old grandmothers, but also for eating livestock. As early settlers moved across the U.S., they began to hunt for elk, bison, and moose, the wolf's prey. So wolves turned to livestock for food. But ranchers didn't take kindly to their animals being eaten by wolves. Soon enough, government agencies developed eradication campaigns and even offered bounties for dead wolves. But the thing is, wolves are a vital part of the ecosystem. They're a keystone species, which means if they go away, the entire ecosystem changes. The next predator in line after wolves are coyotes, but wolves hunt larger prey, and coyotes hunt smaller prey. So if the wolves are gone, the larger prey populations explode, and the smaller prey populations dwindle. The whole ecosystem is out of whack. This is where the Endangered Wolf Center comes in. Their mission is to preserve and protect these wolves through managed breeding and very careful reintroduction programs. 
it can be a tricky process. It's not as easy necessarily as just picking a wolf and bringing them out to the wild. My favorite program that we have is called our pup fostering program. And what we can do is we can take the pups that are born here and they're only a couple weeks old. Again, they're about the size of a potato. And we can fly them out to New Mexico, Arizona, where Mexican wolves are in the wild. And we hike them up in a special puppy backpack. And the mom, she's super shy, which is a tongue twister. Um, she's just going to leave the den. And then we can just add those puppies into her litter. We can shuffle them around, make sure they smell the same. And the mom's going to come back and take care of all those puppies as her own. Each animal here, they represent hope. Hope that this resilient species can recover and fill the important role it plays in our ecosystems. When I visited the Endangered Wolf Center with my family, we also checked out the gift shop. They've got all the trinkets for sale, but also a bunch of informational displays. My sister wandered over to a taxidermied Mexican wolf in a glass case and read the little plaque next to it. When she turned around, she had actual tears in her eyes, told me she couldn't believe how moved she was by this wolf's story. I walked over to the case and looked at the little guy. If I didn't know better, I would have thought he was a dog. I was drawn to his face. He was kind of scrawny, looked friendly and smart. According to the plaque, the wolf's name was Bob. Bob, or M732, if we're being formal, uh, was born in spring of 2002. Bob was named for his stubby, bobbed tail. He was born at a different wolf center in New Mexico, and he had a long journey before he ended up here in Missouri. It began when he was a year old and was released into the Arizona wild with his parents and litter mates. A lot of times with reintroduction efforts, we picture the reintroduction and that's it. That's like closing the storybook happily ever after. But that's really just the beginning of an animal's life and the beginning of the story. Within weeks of being released with this family, Bob's father was hit and killed by a truck. His mother was injured and taken back into protective care. Then his brother left to form a new pack. Bob was alone. Eventually, he was recaptured and brought back into protective care. That's where he met a lady wolf named Madre. He mated with her and adopted her litter. He was a really good surrogate dad. <laughs> the wolf pack is a really strong family dynamic. And that family eventually went back out in the wild. And Bob and Madre lived out in the wild for about three years or so. It was a good three years. Bob and Madre had several more litters, lived in peace. But then Bob and his pack were accused of killing nearby cattle. And the USDA's Wildlife Services issued a wolf removal order. The orders were to bring Madre and the pups back alive. They were soon recaptured. But Wildlife Services believed that, as the leader of the pack, Bob might teach offspring to hunt for cattle. So Bob was to be removed, alive or dead. And soon the report came in. Bob had been shot. So imagine everyone's surprise when suddenly, on a trail cam, there was Bob. The bullet had knocked off his GPS collar, but Bob had somehow escaped. This time, he was safely recaptured and reunited with Madre and his pups. They were taken to the Endangered Wolf Center 
here in Missouri. And even though Bob was getting up there in age, he was no longer really a good candidate for release. His children definitely could be. And they could maybe someday go back out in the wild and start their own families. Bob's story is also a microcosm of wolf recovery. There are fits, there are starts, and always there's hope. And Jimmy sees it often in his work. My favorite memory is probably from this spring. We're actually fortunate enough to have nine American red wolf puppies born at the center this year. And that is huge. This is a species that there are less than 20 in the wild. One of the most endangered animals on the entire planet. And I was leading a tour of maybe 20 or so guests. And all of a sudden, a pup emerges from the den, maybe just a little over a month old. Really just a big, fluffy, potato-sized wolf leaving the den. And you could just feel the energy change from like a casual chatter to like a dead silence as everyone just watched in awe as this pup emerged from the den to explore its surroundings in the late spring sun. On the day that I visited the Endangered Wolf Center, we stood in the middle of the road, in the quiet woods. The guides kept howling back and forth, trying to draw the wolves out. I was starting to think there was no way we were going to fool these wolves. As good as the guide's howls were, it's obvious we weren't fellow pack members lost somewhere. But then... What you're hearing is the sound of maybe 20 to 40 wolves howling. American red wolves and Mexican wolves in tandem. But in person, it felt like being surrounded on all sides by hundreds and hundreds of howling wolves. Out there in the middle of the woods, right at dusk, surrounded by this chorus of howling... It was one of the most eerie, incredible sounds I have ever heard. If you guys want to give it a go, you're more than welcome to. The guides invited us to join in. Hmm. Maybe we should have just left the wolves to it. The Endangered Wolf Center has all sorts of tours and events, including the wolf howl that you just heard. You can learn more about any of that and also make a donation, if you'd like, at endangeredwolfcenter.org. You can also follow them on Twitter at STLWolfCenter. If you do visit, make sure to stop by the gift shop and say hello to our friend Bob. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore. This episode was edited by Gianna Palmer. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. 
Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Johanna Mayer, wishing you all the wonder in the world. See you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.